Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett from Hackett's Financial Advisors. Sean, how you doing this morning? Pretty good, Mr. Casey. Having a really good day. Good deal, man. That's uh, probably uh, hot and sunny down there and wicked humid and all that fun stuff that Florida brings this time of year. Um, It's going to be like this until probably October. (laughs) Right on. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're supposed to have a little dose of heat today, and last week we had some. So we're I was good. in Iowa last week, and uh, it was almost a hundred degrees. So yeah. uh, I, felt, I felt I felt in my own element. Right, you you picked a good time to go to Iowa. That's yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Volatility is definitely leading the way here. When you start looking at what's going on in the markets, we've seen yesterday's a good example of that we started out um a couple cents down and rallied back around and back and forth and it went up and went down i think there's about a seven cent swing in the market um from the time it opened till the time it closed and it was on both sides of zero both times so um more than once actually so i mean talk about the volatility in the market right now and i know it's something we've talked about quite a bit but it seems like that volatility is getting more is starting to ramp up more as we get closer to that august report well, I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's it's quite a few things. First of all, you know, we're we're moving into pollination for corn, setting pods for soybeans. This is the mission critical phase for determining yields. And so everyone knows we got the crop off to a terrible start, a late start, um, maturing slowly. Um, and so any potential additional weather problems at a critical stage of development here, you know, it's going to set the market, you know, either – either good or bad, depending on if they view the weather being favorable or not. So, so you know, if it's a little bit too hot or too dry or too cool or too wet, every, you know, it, it, there's just no margin for error. And, of course, we have this huge report coming up in August where there's going to be a resurvey uh, by the USDA on, or in terms of what uh, farmers might have planted. Um, and also there could be some, some different views on uh, – uh, on the yield front. So the market's going to also be very nervous and speculating around what they will or will not say in that report. So with all this going on, um, it's just going to continue to be a wild ride uh, depending on the sentiment for the day. Yep. Okay. So with that being said, I mean, how, how many, how much, I know there's two distinct camps out there. One is everything's going to be fine. We're going to have the exact same yield, so on and so forth. Then there's the other camp that's, you know what, we planted it late. We historically know when you plant late, you're not going to get the yields, so on and so forth. How much, I, I guess, what, what's going to be the overall reaction to the uh, August report comes out when there's that, that seven to eight million dollars, or you say million dollars, seven to eight million acres of prevent plant that's been bouncing around out there. The USD, the USDA has been kind of, kind of hinting at for a while here. I mean, what's, what's the market's reaction to that going to be? And is it going to be, a limit up, limit down type of day, or is it going to be just a, well, we kind of already have that figured in there? Well, 
if they come out and they don't make, uh, you know, they, they don't make big changes to the acreage. Maybe, maybe they move it around a little bit, but they don't make any major changes. It really depends on how they frame that report. If you remember the last report that came out with this bombshell number, then after the report came out and after the market was limited down, they said, oh, by the way, we don't think this is really very accurate. Um, <laughs> so what I think they might do is uh, provide some additional colors to how accurate they think this number is, whatever the number that is. So, so for example, if they come out with a number that, let's say they move it down a million or two, but they don't really give that six or seven or eight million down that the market's thinking, but they craft it in that we, you know, in the idea that, that we're really not factoring in prevent plant in this report, we'll be factoring more of that in later. You know, the, the market may not take it as bad. It really depends what, if the USDA says, look, that's the number and we stand by it, that's very different than this is another number, but we still don't think it's, it's really close to the truth. So unfortunately, the reaction is going to be dependent upon how the USDA frames the data and how reliable the USDA claims the data to be, especially on the acreage number. Yields are still going to be very uncertain because we're not far enough along yet. So in the report, I suspect the market will be watching how the government frames the report because it's still not going to be an accurate report of the acreage. Still not going to be certified acreage. It's still not going to really factor in all the prevent plan. We think more of that will take place in September and October. But the USDA has got to tell us to what extent they believe that's the case. Yeah. You know. <coughs> Nonetheless, height volatility will probably occur around that report for a little while. So. I can imagine so. I mean, as, as volatile it's been here the last couple of weeks, and every day gets to be a little bit, a little bit worse than the day before. I mean, we had. I mean, this, this interday swings is what kills me, not so much the, the day-to-day yeah. stuff. It's the interday stuff. So it's, it's pretty given impressive. All, given all the flack that the USDA has gotten over the release of the last report and how poorly they did it, I think they're going to be very, very mindful of making sure this report is, is viewed in the light of, of, of how should one be looking at the data and how accurate should one be thinking about the data. So I do think you know, they're going to be a little more uh, revealing and open to how should one really look at this number and how reliable should we, I don't think we're just going to go in, you know, uh, you know, in the dark, like the last one, I, I think they're going to love, I don't think they're going to want more egg on their face for a second month in a row. So right. I'm pretty confident we'll get a better idea of how accurate or how much closer to the truth is this number, but we still don't believe it will be the end report. We think it's going to be moving closer to the truth. Right on. So. All right. So <clears throat> cattle markets uh, there again, Tons of volatility there as well. They're up one week, down the next, and they're kind of everywhere in between during the week. So talk about what you see happening in the protein complex and also talk about what you see happening on the uh, hog side as, as far as China goes. Well, I think we, we talked about last time that uh, the tariffs are now removed for pork imp- uh, you know, Chinese pork imports for U.S. due to these exemptions. And ever since we got in July – Prices have taken off in China, and prices have taken off here. I mean, I think we're up ten or twelve uh, cents here in the in in, in hogs, uh, you know, really since the beginning of July. So we've had a big move. Export commitments are at record highs, and we're starting to deliver the product. Um, and 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 from what we hear, looks like we're going to go out there and uh, talk a little more next week. And so on the margin, sentiment-wise, at least, it just helps the hog market along. Uh, and the same thing in the cattle market. You know, the cattle market's been rising pretty steadily. 
massive, massive um, export commitments that haven't been delivered yet that are starting to be delivered. We're seeing beef prices in Australia making new highs. We're seeing beef prices in uh, Brazil making new highs. And so this is all indication that uh, this big meat protein hole that's been sort of been put on delay in the first half of the year due to trade tensions and also uh, just some extra supply that came into the market from the herd liquidation is now behind us and we're ready to, re to refill that hole. And, and obviously the U.S. has to be part of the equation if, because the problem is so, so very, very big. So we're pretty optimistic. We really like the hog market. We, we actually, in our report uh, last week, we talked about uh, how this we're likely entering the, the, the round two rally from the first rally we had going into the first of the you know first part of the year. So we're we're very optimistic that at least on the uh, livestock cattle side, we're going to see kind of a, a steady uptrending market here for a while. Yep. Okay. All right. So cotton market is one of those deals we talk about here and on Wednesdays. And I think it's an important thing to talk about because of the the effects that it has on on the U.S. economy. And we start looking at how that's an indicator of what's going on as far as you know recessions or you know upticks in the economy, those kind of things. So we've talked about drought situations over in India and key growing areas of of the cotton market and the and the quality of cotton that might be coming out of that area. We got a bit of a drought going on off and again on again drought going on in the southeast. We had a hurricane roll through the uh, kind of the southeast part of the cotton belt and it was already struggling anyway because of the rains and, and cold weather and so on and so forth. Had some heat kind of come through there in the stripper cotton stripper cotton part of that area. Um, saw a bit of a rebound in its cotton but maybe too little, too late type of thing. So talk about what we see happening in the, in the cotton market and, and with the drought and the hurricanes and those kind of things in our area. What's the effect on the U.S. cotton uh, production, I guess, and quality that we're seeing right now in the U.S.? Well, certainly weather's been not, uh, certainly there's been a lot of problems, especially in India and, and, and spotty problems in the U.S. But as we move into the hurricane season, you know, which is August and September, um, there's always, always typically weather threats that come in, especially the Gulf storms that come in and impact Texas and the deep South where they grow a lot of cotton, because remember the bowls will be opening up. And when they open up, you throw moisture on an open bowl and you get all kinds of quality problems. And this has happened many, many years in the past. And when you look at the distribution of the probabilities of where the storms are likely to form this year, um, you know, certainly the uh, Western Gulf is a high impact area this year. So we would expect to see, you know, several storms potentially threaten. And that's all it has to do is threaten, it, whether it actually does any damage or not. If it just threatens when people worry about it, you know, they drive the market higher because of the, of the importance of what that might mean at a very important time when cotton is vulnerable to, to quality downgrades. Remember, uh, the most important thing about the cotton market for U.S. supply is that we produce some of the best quality cotton in the world, bar none. So when the Chinese are looking at their cotton production and their cotton stock, which is low quality, they have to blend it with our really high quality cotton in order to make, uh, you know, the kind of items that they want. And so, so that's why the, the U.S. is always a, a high sought after supply. And if that supply quality goes down, then everyone rushes in to try to find that whatever, whatever good quality is left because the rest of the world really can't fill that gap. And that's what makes August and September so, uh, so, so, difficult and so uh, volatile for cotton because those hurricanes really threaten that. And we do think there's a very good chance of at least one major storm, you know, putting a wrench into the concern 
of quality downgrades in the U.S., especially in, in the deep south in Texas. So that's really you know, where we'd be focusing on and where we think cotton could catch a big weather rally here after being hit repeatedly throughout the last two to three months on, on economic concerns that we've talked about in the past. Right. Okay. Speaking of economic concerns, July 30th, the Fed meets. Talk about uh, what they're going to do with interest rates here at the end of the month here, July 30th. Um, lots of talk out there where there's going to be uh, some reduction in interest rates and start moving that backwards where over the last 18 months, we've heard everything from we're going to have three rate hikes a year of a quarter percent or a quarter point anyway, up, you know, all the way through the next foreseeable future. And now we're talking about the flip of that where we might see three reductions a year uh, for the foreseeable future. So I guess talk about that side of the business and, and what you see happening there and then the the effects that I'm kind of looking forward to, um, some lowering interest rates because obviously from the equipment side of the business, we start looking at millions of dollars worth of stuff being uh, financed every quarter point counts. So uh, if it starts going backwards the other way, you're going to see some, hopefully see some moves there. But that being said, it's also kind of an indicator that there's there's a little bit of an issue, a little softness in our economy, correct? Well, all, you know, the, the Fed Reserve in the past has always been guilty of waiting too long to lower interest rates, waiting until the economy is already in a downturn, already really, really bad. And then, of course, the collateral damage to get out of it makes it that much harder to come out of it. Um, so I think what this Federal Reserve is doing, and maybe F uh, President Trump's um, hounding over uh, Chairman Powell, uh, you know, maybe that's had an impact or not, but what it appears they're trying to do is they're trying to preemptively start lowering rates before you know, we, we hit the hard skids to the downside. So I'm meaning I think they're seeing warning signs that are approaching and, and they're not going to wait this time to see the whites of the eyes of a, of a recession. They're going to try to get ahead of the curve and avoid it, maybe have a softer landing, not such a hard landing like we've seen so many times in the past. And, and if they do lower rates at the end of the month, as they suggested they, that they might, you know, this will really be the first time that we've seen the Federal Reserve do this. And that would be encouraging that they are actually mindful of getting ahead of this and maybe it'll avoid, you know, a more collateral damage or a worse outcome like we've seen you know, repeatedly over the years. So, so obviously that's a very important meeting. Will they follow through and deliver? I sure hope so, because I do think preemptive uh, Fed is something we've needed for a long time. And maybe this is the first uh, sign that they're ready to change their stripes and, and be more proactive instead of being reactive. Right. So. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with that and then what the reaction is, not just to the commodity markets, but also to the um, uh, the stock markets and see what happens there, especially around the world. Um, like we've talked about here, we're, you know, China's economy is not necessarily booming right now. Um, and, you know, everywhere else in the world is kind of the same way. We're kind of in a, uh, uh, a slide across the world here. So there's a... Uh, you know, people keep pointing to tariffs that that's what the that's what's driving the economy down, and whether it is or isn't, I don't know. I think we're probably just due for one of these dips in the economy, and uh, we're going to move forward from there. But, but Sean, any last thoughts before we uh, close this down? Well, I, I think that the, the the other you know, if we really want to get commodities going to the upside at least, and and provide some better, longer term, more sustainable, higher prices for. Uh, U.S. producers. I mean, we really need to see the U.S. dollar roll over and and really start a downtrend. And and you know, we're hopeful that maybe the uh, the Federal Reserve lowering interest rates um, is the first sign that we're going to see some 
some more of a bearish sentiment coming into the U.S. dollar. We haven't seen that yet. We've had some pockets of, of weakness and then it rallies. You know, we've been sort of developing this rounding top, we call it. But you know, we're really interested to see is when does the U.S. dollar really turn down based upon the Federal Reserve's easing of monetary policy? Because once that happens and, it, and, and the trend has begun to the downside, then our act markets can really, really go. And not to mention our exports become super competitive again. Right. So that's really important. Until that happens, you know, that's a, that's a huge headwind that keeps keeps our, our prices held back to some extent. So that's something we're really we want to see that reaction on top of other reactions, like you said, stocks. We want to see the U.S. dollar reaction to what the Fed not only does, but what they actually say about what they will continue to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and having our having the dollar get a touch weaker um, heading into this. This stretch of of the year would be a, be a really big thing for us, especially as we start heading in towards that that key um, export period for China. We start looking at when our crops come out and get yep. stuff overseas. So that would be that would be a huge move for us. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're entering that period from the fall winter where we're the only game in town to sell our you know most of our grains and things, and so that would be an ideal time to have you know, weakening dollar, better competition, and we can really move the product out, especially if our supplies are, are, are going to be shorter, you know, we can really get things going and get our prices back to where, you know, farmers can put equity back into the business right. instead of coming out of the business, which is, you know, being in the equipment business, you know, your buyers are, 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 have not been having some good years in terms of excess capital to buy things. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm fully aware of that. So, yeah, yeah. there's... <laughs> Definitely part of that. Yep. So, all right, Sean, way, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get some information from you. Where's the best place to go get that information? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. There's all kinds of information that they can look at, things they can download uh, to see how we look at things and to see if if our services might be of value to them. Right on, Sean. All right, Sean. Well, Sean Hackett with Hackett Financial Advisors, and I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. And you can check this podcast out on Global Ag Network along with a lot of other ones like Dryland Farmer Podcast and Angie Setzer's, who will be on here on Friday, Girls Talk Ag. So till uh, next week, Sean, have a good one. We'll talk to you then. Good. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.